Welcome to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell, where each week you hear from safety industry experts and leaders discussing safety culture, team development, and the future of the safety industry. If you are looking for help with your safety program or have questions, head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the True Safety Podcast and I'm super, super excited this morning because I have a chance to get to know uh, this pretty awesome guy a little bit more in depth. So Drew Hinton we have this morning and he is the owner of Arrow Safety. And Drew, first of all, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Offline, I was telling you that I have never been this sick in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm just at the tail end over it. So I'm feeling better. But you were mentioning so your kids have something a little bit. Yeah, they, they pass it around. So I don't I don't know what they have. <laughs> but like like you said, we're we even threw out the word flu and I was like, what's that? Like we haven't heard that word in two years. <laughs> I, know. I know. That's no joke. Yeah. I everyone was really convinced that I had COVID and I got tested and over and over again, I was negative. So I don't know what it is, but I'm starting to feel a little bit better. But I was recently in a podcast with Drew about a few weeks ago, and it was cool. Him and I kind of collaborated on a podcast talking about training, but I'm just super interested since then. I've been following you on social and just been seeing what your company is up to with your training and your technical training. And it's, I mean, you guys do so much and I just wanted to first, before I dive into that, I want to take a step back and get to know you a little bit better as far as how in the world did you get into safety? Um, how did you get into this, this line of work? Take take us from the beginning. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) So my background prior to safety is fire department. Uh, I was a full-time career firefighter, EMT and hazmat officer in Louisville, Kentucky. For 10 years and so that's where i got a lot of my skills but i wanted to get into the prevention side i mean being in louisville kentucky in a metro city we saw a lot of stuff um you know Mm -hmm. more than you know routine calls and and calls that you don't want to see again right Mm -hmm. so it actually started out i was looking uh for a, a second job because most firefighters that they work one day on two days off so we'll have a second job or even third job and so Actually, my captain at the time said, hey, there's a, a consulting firm uh, that was in Louisville. And he, the owner was a, a former fire chief, and he had a bunch of fire department uh, members on his, on his staff. And he said, why don't you go try out for him? And, you know, he can use you for you know, all the technical things that we're doing in, in the fire department, you know, confined space, hazmat, CPR. And so I did and kind of started doing just small things, and, and, and it worked out well. And I kind of developed my passion for the prevention side, like I said, um, you know, seen a lot of things happen after the fact and after safety doesn't work or the employee doesn't yeah. use safety properly. And so I kind of went with it went back and got my degree and, and it's been smooth sailing ever since. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in a lot of different industries and the company has been doing well. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy the prevention side of mine. I don't miss, you know, the fire department career as much as I enjoy what I'm doing now. So, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it did. But it did play a big factor in just having those skills. And like I said, wanting to be in the preventative, preventative measure side. I am. Um, 
Oh my gosh. I just respect so much what you did. And, and we, uh, worked with a, a fire, a firefighter and EMT as well. And I'll tell you, he taught some of the best first aid CPR AED classes that I've ever been through. I mean, just because of the, the real life experience. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sure I could only imagine how incredible your classes are having been able to share the stories and share some of the things that you've, that you went through. And so I'm just curious. I mean, while you're working at the department, um, did you respond to a lot of job site? I mean, it sounded like you did respond to, you know, a few job site, I'm sure many, but what were some of the, I mean, I'm just curious, safety person to safety person. This is what I would want to ask you is like, what did, what are some of the things um, that maybe will never, never leave your memory when it comes to like workplace accidents that you saw? I mean, we've, we responded to a few, um, you know, one of the departments I was on in, in Louisville, because we had several stations, one of the stations I was at was responsible for all the technical rescue. So we would call out to machinery incidents where people's, you know, arms or legs are caught in pieces of machinery and yeah. kind of gets pretty gruesome. Um, but my, you know, my background is hazmat. I was on the hazmat engine for most of my career. Okay. And so, you know, I've got some, some stories on, on that. And even like this past week, I was teaching a hazmat class. Yeah. And they, the the customer had hydrofluoric acid, and I, was, I always tell people that deal with that or know what it is um, about an incident we made that this this uh, facility in our fire district's idea of letting the fire department know that there was a hydrofluoric acid or an HF leak was to pull the fire alarm, pull the pull station, and so they don't understand that we get dispatched as a commercial fire alarm showing yeah. up thinking there's a building on fire, and then we get yeah. there and there. And there was people outside, like burning and you know chemical burns, screaming, and we're like, "This isn't what we got dispatched for." Yeah. Oh my gosh. And how common? I mean, how common? Not not so much that incident, but how common is it that employers are not trained in sort of the incident management or you know how to properly uh, develop a relationship with your local fire department too just to let them know hey this is what we're up to this is what we do um i often right. see that that's that's missed especially, especially in small towns sure absolutely um, yeah just how important that is to let your fire department know what you're up to and what you do if you have hazards on the job like that working with chemicals right Oh, and there's I mean, there's been several towns. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell people that not all the time you want to wait on the fire department. I mean, sometimes you have a good relationship with them and they, they're capable of doing the response that you need, whether it's hazmat or confined space or just medical, whatever that may be. But, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell everybody most of the time you don't want to wait on them because they may be wow. called out somewhere else or maybe they're not capable of doing it. I mean, just because they're staff doesn't mean that they are you know, hazmat technicians or confined space rescue trained and have the equipment mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend that employers do? I mean, do you, I mean, the students that come through your classes, let's say, and they're taking, um, you know, maybe a HazWopper class with you, but they're maybe developing their program. It's the first time that they've taken the training. Um, what do you recommend? Do you recommend that first and foremost, that companies are establishing a relationship with their local fire department, really designating um, points of contact that way? Or what are, what's, what are some pieces of advice that you give students that come to your class? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, even if you do establish an in-house rescue team or has whopper team, however you want to refer to that as, you always establish your contacts and, and a good relationship with the fire department because at the end of the day, they're going to respond at some some capacity. Maybe they take over and they're trained and they're a you know a fully staffed uh, professional department, or if they're a volunteer, it may take a little bit longer to get there. Maybe they still have training and, and capabilities to do that, but at least bring them in um, to look at your hazards. Because I've you know when I, one of the safety jobs I had prior to consulting was I was a global safety manager for a chemical manufacturer in Indiana. And so I brought in the local departments to tour our facility to do some pre-planning to make sure that they're aware. And some of them joked around and said, you know, if you all have a leak, we're calling in sick <laughs> because of the stuff that we had. <laughs> I believe it. They're like, we, I, it's funny you say that we, um, I worked in a, I was a health and safety director for uh, an oil and gas slash construction company. We had like a, a fab shop, manufacturing shop and a trucking division. But anyways, we brought out our local fire department to do the same thing. Just look at our hazards, just, you know, have a meet and greet. Um, we were just establishing emergency response plans and they were like, in case of an emergency, like we don't have the proper rescue for the confined space. Some of the guys were fabbing on these unique tanks and they noticed that. And they were like, well, in case of a confined space incident, they're like, we're not, we don't have the equipment. Like we're, it was such a small town. They're like, we don't, right. we don't have that. So uh, yeah, that, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it did help me from my standpoint at the time they didn't have the chemical manufacturer I worked at did not have a hazmat team. And so that kind of helped my case of, Hey, let's build our own internally. You know, we're still going to rely on them. And so yeah. the goal, and, and so we incorporated it with them into the fire department into our training still, you know, we did our first couple of years of, Hey, let's get established. Let's make sure we're comfortable with each other. And then year three that I was there, we were calling the fire department, hey, let's come, you come out of here and, and do a tabletop exercise with us, or let's run a full scenario to where we started out and then you all come in and take over so we can get that incident command system kind of meshing together from both sides. Absolutely. But they, don't, they don't get, you know, hands-on training, you know, realistic as much as most people think. You know, they, they train in a classroom a lot of times just like we do in the safety yeah. field. And so anytime that you can say, hey, you want to come out here and do some training with us, I mean, most of the time they'll be all over it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I heard that. I, it, I heard that, too, with the with some of the fire department. Well, first of all, since it was a small town, they were like, first of all, a lot of us are volunteer. Like we right. have very few people full time on our staff. And that was an eye opener. I mean, I just didn't know that that was this. I just didn't know I had never developed a relationship with the local fire department before. And they were like, so yeah, I mean, we have, you know, a handful of full-time team members and we don't get training ourselves as much. They were actually like, Oh, you offer H2S uh, training. Can we take that from you? And I was like, Oh yeah, geez, <laughs> for sure. And that was a big thing. Like oil and gas was just booming in this, in this town. And so, um, H2S was something that they were really interested in, uh, taking classes on. So that that's good. That's good. So what are some of your favorite classes to teach? I have an assumption, but I want to know, what do you love? <laughs> what do you love? Um, I mean, hazmat's always my favorite just because of my background, but I, I do enjoy uh, the confined space, but also 
medical, just CPR, first aid. And then we, we occasionally do like a, uh, we've done a few 40 hour emergency medical responder courses. Uh, okay. It's really, take like a more or less an advanced in-house first responder team. But I like doing that one because when you can probably relate, there's a lot of things that you see more fruit from that class than others. I mean, yeah, I can respond to a chemical leak, but the CPR and first aid goes outside the workplace. And so it applies yeah, yeah. to so many different aspects. And they're, you know, I'll certify them in most, most of the time I certify them in adults, CPR first aid, but I'll still cover the children, infants, because, you know, I've got three kids myself. We've got kids at home. Most of the time it, it doesn't occur in the workplace. You're doing CPR in the house, out in public, or somewhere it may be. Yeah, yeah, okay. And when um, teaching these classes, is it something that, um, especially the 40-hour classes where you have a little bit more freedom and leeway to add in your own spin and flavor to a class, like what do you love incorporating in all of your classes? I mean, from looking at the company's Instagram and just seeing social, like the hands-on piece is huge for you guys. And it looks like you guys are subject matter experts, you know, at these classes and doing really technical work with training. So what is your philosophy around training? And just, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. I mean, our, our ultimate goal is to make everything as site specific as possible. Uh, yeah, we try. Yeah. We, we do have some things that I guess you. I'm using air quotes here. You know, cookie cutter things that, you know, we've got a can. It's kind of just a short class, maybe. But when the more you get to the more technical and longer courses, you know, we'll we'll typically work with the customer and the client weeks ahead of time or months ahead of time and and try to figure out what's your biggest hazards, and then we'll ask them for their emergency action plans. Hey, send me pictures of this so that when we're doing the you know the classroom portion, we're still showing pictures of their stuff, and then we go out there and use their equipment. And we have our own, you know, training simulators. We've got, you know, a HASIM training device that we use to simulate air monitoring readings rather than just saying, okay, here, here's a piece of paper that says you're you're getting 10 ppm of HCS, whatever that may be. And so we can kind of give them a real, a more realistic feeling on that. But like you said, we we do a lot of the hands hands-on is really where they enjoy it, right? So I mean, we all there's only so much we can sit in a classroom, but sometimes there's you know we have to do that. But they really enjoy you know, seeing things that they're going to be focusing on, you know, I don't want to train them on, you know, how to respond to a tanker being turned over if they're not doing anything with tankers. Right. So I want to make sure that they're, they're familiar with their equipment and their hazards they're going to be using on a daily basis or facing on a daily basis. And then of course we'll cover other stuff as well, but mm -hmm. we want to make sure that this is what you're doing on a daily basis. This is what we're going to focus on. Yeah, I love that philosophy. I mean, just as site specific as possible and showing them in real time, real life, um, this is your pieces of equipment. This is your, um, you know, your job sites, having pictures and things like that to kind of bring to life the training. So that's awesome. Where do you, that makes me think, you know, with everything going on in 2022 already, I mean, everything that we're dealing with even last year, just some of the trends, how do you see, like, how do you really see safety evolving this next year or safety training? Um, you know, do you have, yeah, just like, what's your philosophy around it all? I mean, do you see the same training topics maybe as you did last year, or have you been training on other, other things? Has there been any um, like specific company requests for different topics, how have you really seen safety trending? Yeah, I, th I think I'm, we're starting to slowly see more and more people bring in, I mean, 
you and I both outside consultants and outside training services because, you know, compared to, you know, early 2020 when COVID first hit, it was just to shut everything down. Nobody comes into the facility. We don't really know what to do. But now that we've, I mean, I'm using this term loosely, somewhat got a grasp of COVID, you know, they're, they've already got, for the most part, measures in place so they can start bringing those things in and doing those classes that maybe they've been putting off for a year. You know, OSHA gave, you know, OSHA came out and said, you know, 2020 that they're going to use discretion and because of COVID that if you have to skip, you know, extend the, you know, annual training to, you know, 16 months, 14 months, a little bit longer, that they'll use their discretion because they understand there is COVID. But we're starting to see more, more and more people asking for those hands-on things where they're getting in more close proximity. Um, you know, I've had one quoted out this past week that we haven't, haven't done in a while, but we enjoy doing is a, a radiation safety officer course. Uh, it's usually, oh. it's a, for me, it's one of the more fun classes. Uh, that was kind of one of my specialties within ASMAT is, is radiation and, and nuclear technology. So it's definitely a fun one, but you know, I haven't done that one since pre-COVID. So it's, it's, it's good to be back, getting back and, and, you know, being back in these facilities and they're like, so they're bringing companies like you and I into their facilities and, and getting people back into the classroom is, is the big thing. I mean, we can. I couldn't agree more with you. That's funny. You say that. I feel like a lot that's yeah. I like the way you said that. I feel like a lot of companies, you know, maybe they were just, for whatever reason, you know, pausing classes. Yes, like, you know, being afraid or just maybe not feeling comfortable grouping everyone together. Maybe business was just slower and now they're starting to rehire. But right. for whatever reason it is, I do feel like companies are starting to get their, you know, and also maybe the budgets are fresh in the right. beginning of the year now. And so they have the budget for training, but companies that haven't done training in a few years, it seems like are finally starting to say, okay, let's get back to the basics. Yep. And they're, so. I mean, we've, we've done several, several customers and clients to where they have a lot of people that need to be trained, but, and they'll wind up breaking it into a lot, several small sessions so that we can accommodate everybody and they still yep. can do their, you know, physical distancing and social distancing and, we can, you know, sanitize all the equipment in between classes, and so um, they're still expressing the need, but we're still in, we're still meeting the end result that we're getting people trained, which is amazing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the True Safety Podcast. Make sure to tune in next week as we dive into part two of our discussion with Drew Hinton on the past, present, and future of safety training. It's not something you're going to want to miss. We'll see you next time.